Hi there and welcome to The Brave, the podcast about the people, places, companies and systems that are contributing to a better future. I'm your host, Beth and Vincent, and episode to episode, this podcast is basically an excuse for me to have very interesting conversations with very interesting people about very interesting things. So that's the elevator pitch. Before we get stuck into the episode, and this week we were talking to Peter Denby from Hyper, all about decision and intelligence and using data to make better decisions and what that means and how people are using it, I just wanted to remind you that The Brave has a companion newsletter over on Substack. It covers very similar themes to the podcast. It's written by me. I also include some links from interesting things from across the internet that I've found, and it is well worth a follow. Not only is there some unashamedly I'm going to say there's good content in there you can also get the episodes of the podcast straight to your inbox from it as well which I find quite useful as I'm someone who never checks their podcast notifications so go and give it a follow if you're interested that would be wonderful and as always your support of this podcast is very appreciated but without further ado let's get cracking with Peter this one's this one's interesting yeah, hi, uh, I'm Peter Denby. I'm the co-founder and chief commercial officer of Hyper. Um, and um, just to give you a little bit of background, um, so Hyper, we're all about helping retailers and brands make more intelligent decisions, simple. Um, and, and we do that by putting data science and AI in the hands of uh, business decision makers and business users um, without the need for them to be able to code. So really trying to uh, democratize the, the use of data science and AI, particularly for, for, for retail and, and uh, retailers and brands. Brilliant. So your kind of offering is built around this idea of decision intelligence. And I was wondering if you could go into a bit more detail about what it is. And I know a lot of your clients are kind of retailers, so it'd be great to kind of understand how they're using it out in the wild. Yeah, sure. So <clears throat> decision intelligence, it's its become quite a um, high growth category now. And, you know, Gartner have named it as one of their um, big trends for 2022. 20, uh, but the, the first reference I can see to decision intelligence was actually a few years ago. Um, so a lady called Cassie uh, Kosiakov, who's the chief decision scientist at Google, was talking about decision intelligence back in uh, 2019 or, or even before that. Um, and Cassie referred to it as being the amalgamation of three different sciences. So data science, social science and managerial science. Um, and she talked about it being the discipline of turning information into better decisions at, at any scale. Um, specifically for us, we look at the data science aspect of it, or data science and AI more specifically. So, you know, how uh, businesses can use data science and, and can use AI to make better commercial decisions. So very much focused on uh, business outcomes from uh, uh, better decisions. So what you tend to see when data science and AI are used, um, they're, they're often used to tell you really interesting things, but not necessarily to impact a decision, which is, you know, really where um, uh, retailers need to get to. So is that because because obviously in my profession marketing, there's a lot of data, a lot of analytics. So almost from that, I can tell you what is going on, but I can't necessarily tell you why it's happening or what to do about it. So is that almost what you're doing, bridging the gap between the data and the action and impact? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's the big thing. Uh, it's the big thing. It's um, it's getting from uh, insight and nice to know to 
um, to action. And I think that why piece is really Im important as well. And we have a, a particular way of trying to uh, identify the why, you know, looking at what, what's, um, what's generating that behavior. Why are people behaving in, the, in a way that they do? Why are they shopping for products in, in, in the way that they do? Because that's, that uncovers the insight you really need to, to be able to then power um, a, a whole range of commercial decisions. So is, is your kind of technology or the application of your kind of services and technology being used to do things like customer recommendation engines and stuff like that? Yeah, so that's one of the use cases. And I think that's that's maybe the one that people think of the most. Um, so championed by uh, Amazon, people like you bought um you know, products like this, that type of approach and recommendation the engines are used very uh, widely across um, um, retailers and, you know, with a kind of consumer facing companies uh, nowadays. But yeah, the application goes further than that really for us. So if we think about the um, the major decisions which determine whether a retailer is going to be successful or not. We, th we think there's kind of five core decision areas. Um, so one would be the product range that they offer. Um, and that's product range at a global level. So should I offer the right level of choice um, for my for my customers? And um, you know, a lot of talk about the kind of endless aisle offering a, an unlimited product range. You know, actually, is that that's not always necessarily the right thing to do? It can be too much choice for customers, um, and also having too much choice, having too many products in your range creates lots of problems. It's it's not a particularly sustainable way to to run a business, um, from an environmental point of view or from an economic point of view. So it's about having the right size and variety within your product range and then kind of curating that range to individuals. So, um, you know, most people listening will shop at Amazon and eBay, places like that to, to some extent. And, um, you know, those, those um, businesses, those companies are great in some respects, but they're also really difficult to navigate. They've got so many products, it's really difficult to find the stuff that you want. So um, decision intelligence can be applied to curate a product range to, to individuals as well. So product range is the first area. Um, the second area, which is very closely aligned to product range, is pricing, our pricing and promotions. Um, a lot of the clients that we work with at the moment are coming to us with pricing challenges because there's such um, a lot of economic pressure and the economy is not in a, in a great state. Um, a lot of the businesses that we deal with want to understand um, what they should do with the pricing on various product lines. So, you know, where's their greater elasticity so they can maybe improve, um, sorry, increase prices or, or hold prices to maximize margin but you know equally where should they reduce prices so that they can still um, get the share of the market that they want to achieve and and in terms of promotions um, promotions are used really really widely a lot of uh, retailers use blanket promotions and, and they don't always need to so it's about being more intelligent with um, promotions and markdown and, and, and using them where it's at, where they're actually needed so product range price and the third one would be would be kind of personalization recommendation engines might come into that um, that kind of camp um, so about understanding customer behavior and needs and then delivering you know really um, relevant and, and rewarding experiences fourth bit would be around merchandising and e-commerce so how can you apply decision intelligence to improve an e-commerce uh, journey to uh, maximize conversions and, and, and then encourage customers to come back? So, I mean, I don't know what you find, but, you know, um, I find a lot of e-commerce um, kind of search facilities to be really, really poor, yeah. really difficult to find the stuff that you want. 
And I think that's often because um, the way products are described, you know, you've got people working for the retailers who describe products and they, they create, you know, what we call uh, product attributes. Um, so descriptions of products, really. Um, and they come up with these attributes um, based on what they think is going to be right, but not necessarily the language that the customer would use to search for a product. So, you know, comfy, you know, comfy joggers or, you know, some, something like that, customer language. So when you go onto the website, um, you could use, um, AI and uh, data science to make better decisions on the way. Uh, products are described so you can help customers to find what they want uh, more readily and, and then they're likely to convert at a better rate. So um, e-commerce and merchandising would be the fourth area. And then the fifth area would, would relate to supply chain mm. um, and, and better forecasting of demand. And supply chains have um, been massively disrupted over the last couple of years during the, the, the COVID pandemic. And then uh, again, with the uh, the invasion of Ukraine, um, so companies are really struggling to get the products that they need to the places they they need them for customers to to buy them when when they want to buy them, and um, that's one of the biggest um, drivers of of customer attrition as well. If if you particularly if you search for a product online, looks as though the product's there, you go to you go through to the website and the product's not actually there. That um, you know immediately a customer will will bounce to a competitor's site and 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 often they won't come back. So. Um, decision intelligence can help to better forecast demand um, so that the products are available uh, when, when customers want to buy them. So they're probably the five key areas that we help our clients with in, in decision intelligence. Yeah, and that's, that's a lot of use cases. And this is, I don't mean this as a spiky question, I probably can be perceived as one, but you know, there's, there's almost like a lot of black box risks for retailers or any company looking to kind of abstract decision-making in that way. Um, and I'm just thinking about this because we, we did a recent episode with Katie Gibbs, who runs an AI consultancy. And a lot of our discussion was about the fundamentally some of the algorithms people are using are biased or defective in certain manners. So do you, is it, because e-commerce I guess is less sensitive than kind of healthcare AI or anything like that, but you can still do some damage. So is that something you have to think about as a company when you're designing solutions yeah definitely and there's probably a couple of points on that so first of all you, you've got to have the necessary um uh, kind of checks and, and balances in in place um to avoid those um, biases to um uh, kind of getting into the models in the first place you've got to use the right um kind of training data set and making sure it's a representative training data set you've got to make sure that you you know you test and test and test um, to be able to kind of catch any any um, uh, bias that might be introduced into the model, have the right kind of checks in place, that that, that kind of thing. So I think you know generally in terms of using uh, data and using AI, they're, they're things that you you need to be very conscious of. Um, specifically for the work that we do and the product that we've built, um, we're taking a different approach to a lot of companies. We're, we're making the uh, whole modeling process very transparent so you can see what's actually driving the model what's driving the decision so a lot of the feedback that we've had from clients and um, also when we were practitioners so myself and my business partners we worked for retailers and large consumer uh, companies and a big complaint was um a lot of the products out there do have these black box algorithms so you've no idea what's driving the recommendation so it's a bit of a wing and a prayer really as to whether it's going to work and 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 um you know what's been uh, what what's driving the result so we try to make it very transparent so that you can see the um you know the the, the inputs and you know what's what's um uh really driving the model to uh, suggest the action that it's suggesting 
Because I guess also as a consumer, you know, I've, I've come across a lot of recommendation engines or websites that are trying to do personalization. And you get the sense that if you know a bit about this, you, you get the sense that actually it's quite dummy. You know what I mean? Like it's very, there's something very basic and kind of simplified going on in the back end. So mm. do you, I guess, what what's the difference from the consumer's point of view? Because we've had, we've had, you know, intelligence around recommendations and a lot of the areas you've kind of discussed in in your five points key areas we've had this for a while so I guess what I'm trying to ask is you're offering obviously something different and what does that feel like for the customer why is that better Hmm. so so I think a lot of the things that you you've seen that have been around for a a while um, have a pretty kind of base level of um, intelligence that go into them. They, 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 they essentially look at what a customer has been um, browsing on a website um, and they look at what customers who have browsed similar things to you, what they've gone on to do in the past. And then they apply that kind of logic to determine, you know, what they recommend to you next. So it's, 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 it's fairly basic. It's, it's why recommendation engines are um, why there's so many of them about because they're, you know, they're not necessarily that, that difficult to build um, and, and they're not necessarily that intelligent. But probably better than nothing. Um, so what we've, um, what we're seeking to do is, is go a, a, um, a level deeper than that, really. So um, try to, uh, we think there's a lot in trying to understand customers through the lens of how they interact with products and, and what that tells us about them. So maybe a good comparison would be someone like Netflix. Um, so Netflix, uh, um, the core to their uh, analytics uh, is that they. Um, they analyze the content that you consume, but at quite a deep, in quite a deep way. So I talked about attributes, product attributes. They have content attributes. So it might be different um, genres, you know, zombie, um, romantic zombie films, for example, to be really, really... Good choice. <laughs> really, really nice, my personal favorite. Um, and they, they, they look at the content that you consume um, and, and they... Um, that analysis tells you a lot about, you know, you what you're likely to enjoy, um, and ultimately they use that insight then to um, to personalize your experience as a customer. That's you know the content recommendations you get, also how the user interface is is laid out. But it goes further than that as well. They use those that insight to uh, determine what content they create, uh, what they buy. Um, you know, what their pricing looks like, you know, loads and loads of uh, different decisions. So they're really going a long way um, beyond the, the the basic kind of recommendation engine that a retailer would typically use of, you know, what are the, pro- what are the products you browse typically in that, in that session uh, and then recommending products um, based on that. So we're trying to do that in a retail setting. So we, we look at how customers interact with products. So if it's, you know, regular shops, it might be your regular transaction behavior, if it's a product that you buy less regularly, we look at um, the the set of products that you consider when you're buying. If it's a you know if it's a car or you know an item of clothing that you wouldn't kind of buy that that regularly, and um, we'll look at the set of products that you kind of consider in that in that browsing um, in session. Look at what that kind of tells us about the the, the customer, um, and then the insight that it creates. We we think helps to. Um, uh, the retailers we work with to uh, not only recommend the right products, but make a you know a host of other decisions that uh, um, hopefully are for the benefit of the customer. And I guess the customer doesn't notice if it's done properly. 
if that makes sense. You, 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 you're not going to be like, oh, like this is some great <laughs> AI behind the scenes here. <laughs> exactly. Well, the truth, uh, I guess the, 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 you know, the proof is, is, is in, you know, the, the kind of commercial outcomes. Um, so, you know, what, what, what happens as a result? So if the, if the recon- recommendations are, are not that great, then it's, it's less likely that the customer will buy the, you know, buy products at the end of the day. So, so we would hope the, you know, the commercial outcome is, is, is better for the, um, the retailer that we're working with. But yeah, you're right. The, to the consumer, it might feel like a better experience, but, you know, maybe, uh, maybe if you work in the industry, you might think, you know, what, what's working behind the scenes. Um, but, to, you know, to most consumers, I, I guess they wouldn't necessarily notice. They just think the, the experience seems a bit more kind of personal to me and a bit slicker. And I guess that's a Netflix experience, isn't it? That's what you see on that interface. It is very enjoyable. It is like, oh my God, like I love that film. Like great, you're recommending recommending that to me. But speaking of Netflix, so they obviously have a huge amount of data within that business, you know, millions and millions of users. Mm. So to, to apply kind of decision intelligence, are there any kind of data volume thresholds an organization almost has to meet before it can even do this? So I mean, in terms of the, the area we operate in, so if we're talking about decision intelligence as, as being using data science and AI to, to improve decision making, then I guess the base is um, the data has to be too big for a human to be able to um, kind of process the information and make a decision on, on their own. So that's the starting point. Um, I, I think where particularly in the area that we operate, um, where it becomes really interesting and valuable for a retailer is when they've got lots and lots of customers and lots and lots of products. Um, so, you know, the, the, the clients we work with um, would typically have millions of identifiable customers. Um, by identifiable, I mean, you know, lots and lots of first party data or even, you know, zero party data where the customers, you know, kind of volunteered their own data. That's important because, you know, third party cookies are being phased out. So more and more retailers and brands recognizing the need to um, capture their own data and give customers good reason to um, provide them with data it's you know there's got to be a, a suitable value exchange there so you know millions of customers and then thousands of, of products really and then you know the analytics that we uh, really specialize in you know looks at that that um, comparison um, between customers and products the relationships between customers and products customers and other customers products and other, other products and um you know, when you do that at a very large scale, then, you know, it, it needs kind of specialist products and, you know, takes advantage of, you know, modern technologies, really. So, you know, cloud computing and, um, you know, new kind of database technologies and a lot of the, the things that are very high profile uh, uh, nowadays, they really come into play when you've got that huge amount of data processing that goes way beyond the, the kind of cognitive capability of, of a human. Yeah, that makes sense. And this may be indicative of my lack of knowledge in this area but I'm just thinking of kind of smaller retailers where almost they they won't have that data volume they won't have millions of users can you foresee a world or a scenario where they might be able to access a model that's been trained on almost like industry aggregate data is that a possibility or is that just too complex you know it wouldn't produce a good enough result for them I think that could work to a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, I guess you've got to think about what they're where they're starting from. So if they're starting from a place of making decisions on gut feel, um, and making decisions on on gut feel and our own opinions is is definitely got some, um, you know, some pros and cons. You know, the, the pros are sometimes you, you do need to go with your gut feel, and you know, sometimes you don't need a computer and loads of data to make the right decision. Um, but then often by making a decision on, on gut feel and your own opinions, that um, 
introduces your own inherent uh, biases um, and assumptions. So um, sometimes it's, it's, it's better to have a computer um, support you, not make the decision for you, but certainly support you. And I think with those smaller retailers, if they're coming from a place of, you know, using no decision intelligence, using no data, um, then maybe that interim step that you've just described, um, whereby, you know, it could be on a, an aggregated set of data, industry standard data, and they use that maybe to get some insight and, and improve their decisions. I think there's certainly something in that. Yeah. You can almost imagine like a kind of data commons where people can kind of access this stuff. I'm just thinking of what it sparked my mind because of GPT-3 and just the fact that that's obviously trained on this mass, like it's trained on the internet basically and everyone can access it and people are carving off bits of it to use for their own kind of means and ends. Yeah. Sometimes I think, successfully. <laughs> I know. I think it's a smart idea if it hasn't already been done. Okay. You heard it. I patented <laughs> let's, let's it. it. Anyone listening? <laughs> I've already patented this. <laughs> no, but I, I don't know. It's, it's, um, I just know there's a lot of like work, especially in Leeds, actually. And it's interesting you being based in kind of Leeds. Mm. You've got, is it the ODI Open Data Institute? So that's looking at kind of democratizing data for everyone. And yeah, Leeds is a good city to be in to be doing this type of work, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think the ODI do some uh, uh, great work uh, over there, Paul uh, Connell and his, his team over there. So, um, yeah, not, Leeds is a good place for, for data companies generally at the moment. There seems to be a big movement of uh, companies around um, data engineering, uh, data science, commercial companies, but also um, coming out of education. So it's a, it's a good city to be in for the, uh, the industry in which we work. Definitely. So I want to go back to the point you were making about kind of trusting your gut. So there's kind of two sides here, you know, I think with all of this data, and I've seen this in companies I've kind of worked in and consulted with, where they get analysis paralysis, like they've got mm. so, so much data that they can't make a decision because there's a lot of, they almost don't have the power to trawl through it. So I guess that's, you're partly solving that problem, I imagine, through what you do. Yes, yeah, 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 absolutely. I think, yeah, I mean, if it's, um, you need that kind of computing power, if you like, to get through that. But then, you know, equally, um, it, 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 a lot of it's about um, figuring out what's the decision that you want to make. Um, so sometimes people approach it from the, you know, from the wrong angle. You know, I've got tons of data and we still see this with, with clients today um, and some of the briefs that um, uh, we, yeah. we, we get through. You know, we've got loads of data. Can you help us to generate some value from it? You know, it seems the, the, the wrong way to approach it. Whereas if it's looking at the business, you know, problem or opportunity or risk, and then working out, okay, so um, we, we've got this problem to solve. So, you know, what, what would enable us to solve the um, problem? Okay, so what, what data might we need um, to support um, the decisions that we need to, to, to make to solve the problem? And, you know, at that point, you look at the data and then you look at the analysis that you need to perform. Um, but that's probably the order to, to approach it in rather than, you know, we've got loads of data, you know, let's do something cool with it. Yeah, I almost kind of start with the questions you want to ask and then frame things from there. Because I guess, you, you, like you said, trusting your gut, that is a valid decision making process. So in, in what you've kind of seen in the companies you kind of work with and in, when when is it better to trust your gut or go with the data? Or is it a mix of both? You know, is there a methodology that people can apply? Well, I think it is a, a bit of both. Um and, and there are some pros to um, kind of using your, your gut. And, you know, people often say that you should just go with your gut, but uh, not, not always the best way to approach it, particularly when you're talking about, you know, very large amounts of data or it's a particularly significant decisions. And I think, you know, as I mentioned, um, 
humans have their own biases their own assumptions um and where we make decisions it's often based on you know what we already know uh what we're comfortable with what we've done in the past you know the, the kind of path of least resistance um and that might have been okay before data volumes really exploded and there was you know there were less inputs for for, for us to um, kind of process but I, I don't think it is now um i i was doing some research prior to the um the podcast and there's um there's a, a renowned neuroscientist called uh, daniel levitin he's a big authority on the subject and he attributes um information overload which you know a lot of us um i, I think really suffer from to uh, multitasking in the digital age and um he talks about indecision and, and inability to prioritize uh, arising from excessive information um, and said that multitasking to the point of brain fatigue can lead to truly uh, bad decision making. So, you know, if you think about that, but with loads of data um, at, at play as well, you can see why this causes a challenge and you can see why, you know, using tools like data science and AI and using, you know, kind of decision intelligence type products might help to um, where there's loads of data to be able to organize that data process it and analyze it um you know to maybe to find patterns that we couldn't um as, just as a as a human um create insight from those patterns and then um with those insights make it make a better decision so i, I think yeah going back to your questions is probably two things so one um using uh, data using data science using ai helps uh, avoid our inherent assumptions and biases that's one point um and also um helps us create insight from data at very large scale so that that would would also be a good time to um to not rely on on gut feel but you know we don't we don't think it's um you know we don't think it's a case of you know machine or human you know we definitely think it's a combination of the two gets the best result yeah, because I've got, I will, I always, just for listeners, I always kind of share some questions um, with guests before they come on the podcast to help kind of frame the discussion. <laughs> and I've kind of got a question in here that it is, it's a bit tongue in cheek, but it's, um, do you think all commercial decisions will become fully automated? And then what's the role of the C-suite and decision makers if you've got decision intelligence? <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, in, in, in a word, no. <laughs> I don't. I don't think there will be commercial decisions will become um, fully automated. Um, so I think you know automation has been at play um, in commercial decision making for a while, and that tends to be where decisions are repeatable. Um, maybe where there's few variables at play. Um, so uh, things like credit checking, for example, I work for a. Um, a business that one of the things they did was was credit referencing and, and consumer credit checks um, have been in place for a long, long time. And, um, you know, they're not always perfect, but, you know, they, they kind of do the job they're supposed to do uh, by and large, um, you know, and they're automated. Even product in the retail sense, product recommendations and, and um, either recommended products or substitutes or bundles, you can largely autom automate those and they'll be much better than, than not doing anything. Um, but there's definitely a limit to that. And I think, um, you know, it's the it's the kind of human plus machine approach that's going to work um, better. So in, again, in a retail context, um, if you have a trader, someone who's responsible for, you know, kind of ultimately buying and selling products for a retailer, who tends to be the mainstay of a lot of re retail businesses, um, you know, they've often got years and years worth of experience, um, practical experience and, um, if you just said we won't have a trader, we'll just automate all these decisions, um, it would quickly go pear-shaped. 
because they understand the the, the reality. So it's um, but, but what decision intelligence hundred percent can do is arm them with the insight they insight they need to make a better decision or give them suggestions about you know what decisions they they could make. Um, but you still need that person in place to provide the the kind of common sense and experience to then a, a apply the decision. So I think it's um, it's a combination of the two. And, and, and to cover your your other point about the C-suite, so I think the C-suite has a big part to play in it. So, so, so you know, one aspect would be helping figure out what decisions you should automate and and and, and what should be left for a human and where the combination could come into play. Um, but then also in terms of uh, providing the teams with the resources that they need, the you know, the money that they need and the time that they need to put in place training, technology, data governance, that kind of thing. But I, I don't think it's that simple, actually. I think um, most people leading businesses still now are from a generation where digital technology was nowhere near as prevalent as it is now. Um, so I think it's a, it's a big leap asking that generation of people to uh, figure out technologies like data science and AI and categories like decision intelligence and automatically work out how they can apply them in their business to improve the performance of their business. Um, and I think some really struggle with it. I think it'll only be maybe the next generation or the generation after that when they're leading companies where we see the real value of some of these technologies we're talking about um, be, be truly realized. Uh, do you think that's a power thing because there's a lot in organizations there's a lot of power gained by people who can make good decisions right that's that's how you get reward praise you know you kind of rise up the ranks in the way and do you think there's kind of a fear that if we're abstracting this in some sense to a system that is you know the whole company has access to that that almost takes away people's power yeah 100 percent yeah, yeah, I think there's definitely um, part of that, and people um, possibly feel threatened by by that situation. Um, whereas, um, you know, what 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 I, I guess the the positive way to look at it is is that these are tools to empower you to improve decision making, to democratize it across a business, to you know, ultimately, what's you know, what helps if we're talking specifically about commercial organisations, which is you know, my experience is, is certainly mostly in commercial organizations really should be looking at what's the what's the end result we want to achieve and what's the best way to get there and some of these technologies we're, we're talking about you know can really help that but yeah people have got to be comfortable with uh, giving up the power and the uh, and the authority to make all those decisions they've got to be comfortable with um you know um uh, empowering other people uh, within a team and also using these technologies to to kind of get to uh, um, you know, the best possible business result. Because I guess, again, like people, especially if you have a very top down, like command and control style organization and someone at the top who may be quite irrational in their decision making, they can have a lot of negative kind of influence and impact on the company. And you can almost see like that being removed through the application of this type of technology where it's no longer, it, it, it breaks down, like I said, it breaks down power structures. But I, I also had a question around, you know, the fact that human decision-making is fundamentally uh, thought to be quite irrational. There are schools of thought and differing opinions on this, obviously. But from, from your experience, does the data suggest that we are irrational or were we more rational, more predictable than we think we are? Uh, I think you can look at this from a couple of different angles. So if we think about it from the angle of um, 
the, the decisions we make as individuals, but in the businesses or the organizations that we represent. And then the second bit is decisions we make as consumers. So for the former, um, I think what we find is that people t- tend to be quite linear in, the, in their decision-making um, and they definitely sway towards looking at the decisions they've made in the past, um, you know, what they, what they automatically assume, what they're comfortable with, often the path of least resistance. Um, and they will use that as their frame of reference for, you know, making a, a future decision, not necessarily thinking about whether the logic they've applied in the past is the right logic to make a decision in the present. And I also think, um, you know, people don't necessarily, or very few people really, you know, concentrate on kind of structured problem solving to arrive at a decision. Yeah. Um, this is a this is this is a challenge a lot of people uh, face as well. So don't necessarily break down a problem in the in the way that they they could and get a you know a diverse set of inputs to to solve the problem in the, in the best possible way. Um, so I think you know as as people working in businesses, decisions I think are relatively predictable um, and linear. Um, on the flip side, I think the decisions we make as consumers tend to be more irrational in in some senses. And we get to uh, we get to analyze a lot of customer anonymized customer purchase data. So we we see what people what people buy, and some decisions are pretty linear. So you get a lot of people buying um, milk and cereal um, at the same kind of interval. So maybe milk every week, cereal, you know, every every couple of weeks, and that that seems pretty logical. But then you see a lot of irrational decisions as well, and you know the kind of obvious example is the start of the COVID pandemic where people just went absolutely crackers buying you know all the toilet roll they could find and you know every kind of packaged and tinned good known to man um at the expense of people who couldn't get to the shops you know who tended to be more vulnerable people you know who either couldn't physically get to a supermarket or you know weren't um shopping online and these people who were shopping irrationally weren't bad people necessarily they were just in a weird situation um, that they hadn't necessarily encountered before, so they <clears throat> so they demonstrated irrational behaviour in, in that in that moment. That's quite an extreme ad, mm. uh, example, but you certainly do see more irrational behaviour uh, or seemingly irrational behaviour um, from a consumer point of view. Um, you know that whole area of kind of behavioural psychology, I think, is a fascinating area. Yes. I think you could probably do a whole podcast series on that. Definitely, um, yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking of like my random, slightly drunk on a Friday, Saturday <laughs> night, like Amazon purchases. Yeah. Uh, the next day it arrives, and you're like, "Why did I buy a book on? I don't know. My most recent one, I bought, I bought a book on like 13th century mystic women hermits. Oh wow. Yeah, and I was like, "Okay, wow, yeah, that's an interesting one." <laughs> yeah, well, you certainly do see see a few a few uh, slightly random uh, decisions. I must say, I must say, um, but I think um, you know it's it's um, some of the things we've talked about. You know, some of the, the kind of techniques and technologies you know really help to try and get under the skin of of that decision making. Um, and, and and oftentimes you can uh, you know by by understanding what's you know the the um, uh, those kind of relationships between customers and, and products. You can figure out why a, why a purchase decision has been made, and there are of course times when it is just totally a random and uh, random and, and irrational, and you know you just have to go with that. Yeah, I think I really confused Amazon, but anyway, <laughs> no, that's brilliant, Peter. Thank you so much for coming on and having a chat with me. I really enjoyed that. If people want to find out more about the work you're kind of doing and, and hyper, where would they head to? 
Yeah, sure. So uh, if you wanted to connect with me, it's just Peter Denby at Hyprom on LinkedIn. That's the main uh, platform I use. Uh, and then as a company, we're uh, hyper-group.co.uk. So please come and check us out. Brilliant. And I'll put all of that in the show notes for anyone who's listening so you can click on straight through. But thank you so much for your time. That was really interesting. Brilliant. Thanks, Bethan. Appreciate it. Thanks so much to Peter for coming on the episode and to you for being a listener. As I said at the beginning, don't forget to follow our newsletter over on Substack, thebrave.substack.com. If you're interested in the themes that are covered by this podcast, they're expanded upon in written form. If you're like me and you prefer sometimes reading to listening, you can also find us over on Twitter at The Brave Listen. And you can find me on pretty much every platform. Yes, even TikTok at Beth and Vincent on most of them. I really love hearing from listeners what you've enjoyed, perhaps any feedback you have about the podcast. So feel free to get in contact with me directly on Bethan at bethanvincent.com or you can also leave a ratings and or a review in your podcast player of choice and that is much appreciated because it just helps due to kind of algorithmic things it helps promote the podcast to more people and that's always awesome so until next time I will say goodbye I hope you have a wonderful time uh, staying afloat in this very confusing and strange world we live in at the moment wishing you all the best and I will speak to you soon